Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ruvin, daf Memtet, page 49. Um, following on, Yerdena, what you had been discussing about this kind of a setup of, of two areas that were, you know, or really three areas, and the question of whether you can make an area across all three, the Gemara discusses this kind of case and says, Meaning, what happens if you set up your alleyways in such a way that you end up not really um, joining, right, between, but across the across all three, right? So that you end up with each area having the right to carry, but not from one to the next, right? So then you end up, I don't know, it ends up being every man for himself, which this is the them. The Gemara just uses the expression midat stone and assumes that we know what it's talking about. And this is, of course, a reference really to, I mean, I've learned it, I guess, in Perkei Avot, right, where you, the Gemara says that when a person says, what is mine is mine, and what is what is yours is yours, that's midat stone. Meaning there's no generosity there. It's not evil, which is interesting because midat stone should be evil. In fact, so then the implication is, aha, so this idea of everybody taking their own stuff each person for themselves is actually more reprehensible than we might think. And so the Gemara goes, but, but in this case, it's really simply a matter of saying that when you push a person to say, um, you, you're not going to have your legal rights here. You're not, we're not going to allow you to use your stuff in my courtyard, right? Then what happens is that that becomes very, it, it, it takes on a selfish, a selfish look, right? And that's and that's the idea that that's the characteristic of stone. Um, okay, so then the question is, under what circumstances is one's eruv not going to be a valid eruv? Right? It kind of continues from this. It's not exactly the same case. We're we're moving on from midat stone, but it's still in this discussion of eruvin that you would think would apply, and yet they do not. Right? And that's what that's what's gone on here. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Hamakpid al eruvot. Ain eruvo eruv. Somebody who says they're that they're particular about their food, right? Meaning, because the eruv, the technical eruv, the actual physical eruv, um, also ref- the word eruv refers to the food that is set aside to be the the cooperative effort, right? So when you set up that eruv, if you say you may not have from my eruv, well, you may not eat from my eruv, then the gemara says that is not an eruv, mashmo. Erev Shmo, right? It says, what is the name? Joining is the name, meaning the whole identity of having an Erev to begin with. The quintessential aspect or identity of what an Erev is, is sharing, is joining. And the moment somebody comes and says, but you can't have from mine, then instead of just saying that's obnoxious, then you're you're flouting the very identity of what the Erev is, and it doesn't count as an Erev. Of course, then there's a machloket. Rabbi Chanina Amar Eruve or Eruv Ela Shnikra Me Anche Vardina says, "Well, the Eruv is actually still an Eruv, right? It counts, it works, but that person would be called one of the men of Vardina. Vardina people were apparently miserly and known to be so. So again, here we're calling names. The Gemara is calling names the same way. You know, we talk about Midat Stom. Here we've got you are one of Anche Vardina." Again, it's it's not complimentary at all, 
it doesn't go so far. I mean, at some point also, it doesn't go so far as to say this doesn't work. So then the next case is one who divides his Eruv into two parts, right? Meaning he's got the food that theoretically should all be in one place, but he divides it up. And the question is, why is he dividing it? The whole idea, again, the quintessential nature of an Eruv is that it is joining or sharing or combining, right? Disparate parts into one, into a unity. That So then the idea is at the moment you make it divided, then you no longer have an Eruv. And then the Gemara says, well, who could really be holding this, right? Just dividing it should not be enough to make it not an Eruv because we know, and the Gemara says here, Beit into Eruv, Beit says, of course it's an Eruv, right? It's not, because simply dividing the food in two should not be enough, right? There's no, there's no um, counter to the phenomenon of Eruv simply by the, or it's a machloket, whether there's counter to the, the, the identity of the Eruv simply by dividing it into two. So then the Gemara says, I feel Tim Beit Hillel. What about Beit Hillel where it says that it is an Eruv? Ad kan lo ka'amar Beit Hillel. Hatam ele demalian lamanad va'aitar aval hecha de plage miflag lo. So what happens? Beit Hillel says that if you're talking about, you know, you divide the food because, you know, you fill up your, your container and then you have some left over and so now you have it in two containers, then that's, then that you're still going to have an Eruv. The fact that it's not all smushed into one container, that would not work. You know, like it, it's, it's going to be overflowing your container. So Beit Hillel is okay with separating the food in that way. But if you actively, intentionally went and divided it from the outset, um, then even Beit Hillel would agree that this Eruv is not valid. So the Gemara then asked, and I think this is an important, you know, Gemara methodological point. Like, why do we need both cases? Why do we need the case both of the person who says, um, uh, who, who's particular about the food, and also the, the case of the, the division of the food? Why can't we just say, hello, and Eruv has to be a shared cooperative effort, and leave it at that, right? Why do we need, what do we gain from having two different cases that fundamentally make the same point that an Eruv is really about joining? And the Gemara says as follows. Um, I might think that in the first case, that it's just because that guy is particular and that it's not really about joining. It's about the fact that his his manner is not um, welcoming or whatever, right? He's being particular does not mean that the Eruv itself can't be divided. And then if you say, I might say that because it's divided, that's the issue of Al-Hatam Emalo, I might think that, that that has nothing to do with when a person is particular about his the food of the Eruv, that, that's not divided, right? He's he's not saying you can't have. He, he's saying he's saying you can't have in certain measure, right? He's still set it up to be an Eruv. It's not divided. And the answer is no. We need both cases both to teach that somebody who's particular about the food um, and will not share it, is, his Eruv is not an Eruv. And to teach that somebody who has divided the food, at least, you know, for Beit Hill, the division has to be also intentional from the outset. Um, that also is not an Eruv. And so we end up with this, I would say, I would say that this, this um, if we take a step back from these cases, these three cases, one is the Midat Stone characterization at the beginning, and then the next two cases, whether it's, whether it's a valid Eruv or not, 
the Gemara's point, I think, is is very clear, right? That there there's a nature to what an Erev is supposed to be and that it is a, a cooperative impulse. And that is, you know, part and parcel of what it means to have an Erev means to to share, to welcome, to have, to recognize that we are making a Rishut HaYachid out of, out of more, right? Meaning, and and that combination um, becomes important to the Gemara to the extent that the Halacha says, under certain circumstances, your Erev won't even last. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't even become an Erev. Of course, then the Gemara goes on, and and I'm going to stop here. Your Daniel will take over. But of course, the Gemara goes on to say, well, maybe maybe it's not so simple to say that these cases are not an Erev. But I think no, no matter whether you have a technical Erev or not, the the Musr, the ethic here is clear. Well, this Gemara really elevates the concept of Erev, right? Up until now, I think we really primarily been discussing it as you know, sort of this odd rabbinic loophole and that's some of what's sort of frustrating about Erev and particularly this tractate is sort of seeing, you know, the rabbis sort of spin their wheels on something that sort of is of their making. And this Gemara for the first time sort of elevates it to a moral lesson, right? Like if you were to teach somebody what's the essence of Erev, Right. So the technical piece of it is, oh, so it allows people to carry where they normally couldn't carry or to walk where they cannot walk. But I think I would actually use this Gemara and this little section here to sort of discuss, like, what's the moral value that Arab is actually trying to impart upon us? I think that's great. I think I, I think that takes it, what I've said even a step further. Right. And the idea that we talk about this nowadays, right? That people ought to make an Erev because there's a community value to allow people to to leave their homes to carry and so on. I think that this goes even further. Right, and so now it no longer feels like a loophole. It's really, in essence, a way of creating, you know, friendship um, during during Shabbat um, in a way that's actually very nice. Um, but then the Gemara wants to get technical again. And <laughs> the next piece, which I want to read here, which is a continuation where you left off and sort of tries to get through um, a technical piece, which is, is Erev Mishum Kenyan? Like, is the Erev that's put somewhere, uh, does it basically sort of become an Erev because of the Kenyan that people now actually like own the food there? Or is it Erev Mishum Dira? Or is the Erev, you know, effective because of residents? And so the Gemara reads as follows. Amar Le Rabbi Yachal Rabbi Yehuda, so Rabbi Abba said to Rabbi Yehuda, I don't know, the Gemara adds this little detail here, in the olive press of Rabbi Zakai's house. Right? So he wants to know, did Shmuel actually say this, that in the case of somebody who divides his Erev, it's not actually an Erev. Right? And so didn't Shmuel say somewhere else, the house where the Erev is placed, so the owner, like, so let's say you had five houses and the Erev got put in one house, right? The food got put in one house. The owner of that house doesn't actually need to contribute bread to the Erev. My time, I, what's the reason? Right? What's the reason? Is it not because Shmuel holds basically that since there's bread in the basket, somewhere else in the house, it's as if it was placed there with the rest of the Arab, right? Like maybe that could be one explanation, right? So the four other people in their houses, they each give some food. It's put in a clea and brought to that house. 
And the person in the fifth house, yeah, we assume he has food somewhere else in the house that would be part of the air if it's just not physically, you know, where the rest of the food is, right? Right? So here, what do we say here? That also, if the bread is just put in a basket, right? In other words, that we have two kalim for the Arab, right? And the bread is put in the basket, right? It's it, it's just like it was placed with the rest of the Arab. So in other words, the food could actually be split. The food doesn't actually need to be together. Amar Leis, Rabbi Yehuda replies to him, Hatam pat, maitama Right? So he says, this second case here that was just brought, right, where there was no bread, right, where the Arab actually was, right, they didn't contribute to the bread. What's the reason for that? Because by putting the food in that house, right, it's like it's like everybody is living there. So the person who actually lives in the house, he doesn't actually need to contribute any bread because he lives in the house. It's really for the other four, right, let's, I'm just making an example of five houses. It's really just for the other people in the other houses, those other four houses, they need to show their residence in the house that holds the Arab, and therefore they need to put their food there. And that sort of makes sense, right? Like if the idea is, is that we leave food for an Arab uh, and it's something that you're supposed to eat, right? So where do you leave food? You leave food in your house. Amar Shmuel, but Shmuel actually said what? Arab Mishum Kinnan, right? That when an Arab is put in a house, it becomes an Arab because of Kinnan, because of um, ownership, right? Acquisition, right? The idea is that each person contributes some of the food and they basically, you know, get a right. They acquire a right, right, to use that residence. And they are basically one of the residents. And therefore, they can now use that area and carry there. The aim tomar, So now they have a great question, which is, okay, if you want to say it's Kenyan, then why can't you just acquire your era through food, through money, excuse me, through ma'a, through money? Why does it have to be particularly through food? Because sometimes you can't always find money on Arab Shabbat. And what the commentators explain here is that, you know, it's this is interesting. People sort of spend their money or what they have before Arab Shabbat. And it may be that you literally just didn't have a coin or whatever their currency was lying around in order to contribute. Um, but I think also reflecting back on the idea of sort of like there being a moral value here, I think sharing food feels much better than saying, I gave somebody money towards something, right? Like that doesn't feel as much of a contribution. So then the Gemara goes on, right? So the Gemara wants to ask, so like going, exploring further Shmuel's opinion here, right? In a case where he established an Arab with money, right? It still should be a Kenyan. In other words, yes, ideally it should be through food, but if he really is ultimately going to hold that Arab Mishum Kenyan, that an Arab, when it gets established, it's through the idea of acquisition, right? Everybody owns part of that bread, Right? So everybody's an owner of that residence and everybody can use that residence. Even money, right, should still be okay. There's no reason to say that you can't use money, right? So now they have to explain that further. Right? So the Gemara says the reason why they didn't allow money is was a gazera. Because once you allowed money, people would automatically go to money, right? Like money's kind of easier, right? It's easier for me to say, oh, here's a dollar. I'm just part of your Arab, right? There is something like a little bit more effort that takes place if you say, I got to actually bring 
food over. And therefore, when money is not available, right, it may be that they're actually going to forget that you can use bread. They won't actually do bread. And then this is also really interesting that the whole category, the whole concept of Arab would actually be forgotten. And I don't think what they mean there is that literally that like it would be forgotten. Again, going back to the moral lesson, I think it's that it would they would forget what the meaning of it is, right? That it's supposed to create some type of partnership, friendship between people. And I just think you don't get the same thing through money. Rabbi Amar, Rabbi, right? He disagrees with Shmuel. And he says, Erev Mishum Zirah. He says, no, Erev, it, it happens. It's, it's effective because of the idea of a residence, right? Each person gets his food and it's like he lives in that place and therefore they're allowed to use that place. My Beinahi. So now the Gemara wants to say, What's the actual, you know, what's the takeoff? Like, in other words, what's the difference of saying Erev Mishum Kinyan, Erev Mishum Zirah? So here's the difference is has to do with the kli, with, an, with a utensil, right? Because if you want to say that it has to do with Kinyan, right? Then you, then according to Shmuel, you should be able to make basically an Erev just using a kli. It doesn't have to be food. But if it has to be through sort of, residence through dirat, you would have to use food. Right? Sorry. And so here's the real difference here is that another difference here is the following, that also it can't be something that's less, if you say it's Kenyan, right? It can't be something that's a value of less than a prutza. Because we say you can't make a Kenyan, right? You can't acquire something, right? We know that this is true, for example, like a couple gets married, right? The ring needs to be worth something, right? Because the, the, the act of Kedushin is a Kenyan, right? So you can't, that's a whole separate conversation. And I apologize if I just opened a Pandora's box. We'll talk <laughs> about that when we get to Masachic Kedushin, right? But the idea is you can't, if Shmuel's opinion is that it's a Kenyan, you can't make a Kenyan, you can't acquire something that's valueless, right? That's less than a Pruta, right? A Pruta is basically like a penny. It's like the least amount. Whereas according to Raba, if it's an, a resident, it can be due with any amount of food, even if that food itself is worth less than a pruta, right? Another difference here, the katan, right, is the idea with a katan, right? What if a minor, right, is the person who collects the error of, of all the residences? So if you're going to say it's Kenyan like Shmuel, you can't use a, a, a katan, right? Because a katan really can't be a shaliach to do something that acquires Kenyan. Whereas Rava would say, if it's about the Rav, it's about residence, a katan could do it. Um, and then finally, uh, the uh, I'll, I'll just read just a, a, a tiny bit more here. Amrle Abai Raba, right? So Abai says to Raba, kasha kasha, right? We have a difficulty here, according to your opinion and to Shmuel's opinion. Ha Tanya, okay, what, what, the, we had a brisa that said what? Chamisha shegavu et eruvin, kashem shemalichin et eruvin l'makom acher, echad maliach l'kulam. Hu ni dekakane v'tola. Right? So here's the case. The Brisa talks about this is if you have five people who collect their Arab, right? And then they go ahead and they take their Arab, right? In order to establish this Arab together, right? With another, let's say with another Chatzar, right? One person takes that Arab for everybody, right? So in other words, the five people come together, they give their food for the Arab. And then one person who represents all of them takes that Arab, right, of that food to make an Arab with another Chatzar, right? So what does this basically tell us? This tells us that one person can do Kenyan, right, and nobody else. And also one person can gain, can do the residence piece, right? And you don't need other people, right? 
So the question is, according to Rabbi Nabai and Shmuel, this really shouldn't be a valid case. Amar Lay, so Rabbi answers him, Lo didi kasha, lo kasha, so he says, no, it's not a problem in either of these cases. It's just, it's just a case where they used shlichut, where they used an agent. And we know, right? And remember, we learned that in the Mishnah previously, you can use a shaliach in order to do your error. So I, you know, this daf uh, is, it's long. Um, but I think here for the first time, we sort of get under to two real fundamental principles, right? The moral value of arrows and then a discussion of, you know, what's actually happening with this whole thing with the food. And again, this made it much more real for me. It no longer felt like a rabbinic loophole, right? It felt much more for me, you know, that like there's an underlying concept here, right? Whether you say it's Kenyan, whether you say it's Dira, but they're trying to really accomplish something through this act of partnership, through this act of friendship to really accomplish something legally. Again, Machlokas of Shmuel and Rabbah, but it made this, it, but this whole stop really shifted era for me. It made it feel much less, much, much less loophole-y. Yeah, it's remarkable that this is not more of the way era is presented. I, I again, well, I think that, that, that it I took think that it, Memtet to get to this. <laughs> that too, but I mean, like even just in our mindset, how many people are the entire Brisker tradition that says we don't use Ervin because you know we don't that because of this kind of loophole. I don't like loopholes, but here we see it as the positive value of it. And and I, as I said before, I think that in our modern era, we do have this sense of the positive outcome of it in a in a different kind of way than maybe, I don't know, you know the maybe it's a kind of thing of the difference between when you are running a family and you you know share in community in a different kind of way than let's say if you're a yeshiva bacher or a learning in midrasha and you can be you know, in an ivory tower purist about not needing such loopholes. I think that there's a value to it. A hundred percent. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and some of the fundamentals that I think we uncovered about Arif on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 